Um, it's about the lost. It's about Jesus leaving the, he's the good shepherd, and, and it's about him leaving the 99 Christians safe in the church, so to speak, and to go after the one who has not heard about Jesus or has not yet responded to Jesus. There's a passage about evangelism, right? What if I told you that's not actually what this parable is about? Did you know that? Because there are actually two versions of this parable. And Rob, if you wouldn't mind, just um, so I can click the PowerPoint there. There we go. So there are actually two versions of this parable. There's one in Luke and there's one in Matthew. Did you know that? So the, the Luke one has a different context. And indeed, it is about evangelism. Jesus is sitting there. It's in Luke 15. Jesus is sitting there with, with tax collectors and so-called sinners and, and prostitutes. And uh, the Pharisees kind of have a go at him. And then he tells that parable of the 99, the one, to say, actually, I've come for these ones, the tax collectors, the sinners. These are the ones that I've come for. But I want you to look here in Matthew 18 and notice that the context is quite different. So open up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab your phone. Type in Matthew 18 ESV. The ESV stands for the translation we use. And I want you to see this. I want you to see the different context here in verse 10. Notice there's no talk about Jesus sitting down with tax collectors or sinners. Instead, he just launches in. He says, verse 10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. He says, look here, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. And you might remember from last week, what does little ones mean? It could mean literal children, little boys and little girls. But it could also mean... Yeah, spot on carry Yeah, followers of Jesus, believers. The, the little ones who have humbly embraced salvation through Jesus alone. They've declared dependence on him to save them. And they've humbly submitted their life to him. That is the, the little one that Jesus has in view here. And so Jesus then says, you must not despise any of these little ones, fellow brothers and sisters in the faith. This is actually a passage not about evangelism, but about how we treat fellow believers. God cares about the lost. He seeks the lost. He wants us to evangelize. But this passage has a different focus. And as the story unfolds, we'll see that the shepherd seeks the sheep, the believer, who is straying, who is straying from the faith. How do we treat them? What's our posture towards them? ...showing local church involvement after COVID, right? 2020, BC, AC, before COVID, after COVID. And uh, the question is, compared to pre-COVID times, the study asked, are you more or less involved at your local church? And just look at the stats there. One in five people say, so 20% odd, would say, I'm actually more involved now than I was before. It's like COVID sort of hit the reset button for them, but in such a way that they said, Jesus is more important to me than ever. Church is more important to me than ever. I now know what I've been missing. I'm coming back all guns blazing. Okay, so one in five people, about 20%, who are already committed to a church went that direction. Uh, about 60%, three in five, said, I'm holding the line. Like, I I've been missing church in this time, and I'm coming back, and I'm just as committed as I was before. Right? So I'm about the same. But notice that one in five say less involved. So they've either 
you know, wound back on their commitment to church. They're coming less often or they've pulled out of serving. They're not as connected with other people at church. Or maybe they've ditched church altogether. That's one in five. The question Jesus is asking here is, what is your posture? If you're in that top group, for example, you're more involved, what's your posture towards the person who is now less involved? Or if you're in the three and five and you're holding the line, what is your posture towards the person who has, has totally stepped back from the line? Okay, Because they are straying, aren't they? Like someone who is no longer coming to church after COVID because they think that they can do church in their pyjamas or something like that. They, they are straying from the faith. Jesus says, gather with other, well, the Bible says, gather with other believers. Don't forsake meeting together. And we cannot say enough that the local church is God's plan for the world. This is his plan for growing the saints and equipping them for ministry and reaching the lost. It's not somewhere else. It's here. Okay? So these people are straying. But what's our posture towards them, Jesus asks. Or consider someone who might be here every week. Someone might actually, who, who might actually be serving in a ministry, but they're straying into sin. Rob was praying for, for folk like this earlier on in his prayer. I wonder if you heard it. This is someone who maybe uh, has a, a, a real problem with anger. They've settled into this pattern where they've just got a, a hair-trigger response to anything wrong that goes, out, goes on in their life. Maybe they're taking that out on, on members of their household. Or maybe they're someone who's, who's gotten involved in some sort of vice and it's not just a one-off, like they're, they're stuck in this, this sort of loop of going to pornography or maybe to uh, alcohol or, or maybe to overspending or, or something like that. Or maybe it's someone who, who's sort of spitting harsh words or, or gossiping in the context of our congregation here. There's someone who's struggling. Maybe it's someone who just finds it really hard to trust Jesus at the moment. They've been going through some really hard stuff. They're on the edge of doubt. They're on the edge of giving up. And so you ask them, you know, how's your walk with Jesus going? And they just sort of, like they just sigh. Well, they don't have much to say. They're straying. Or they're on the verge of straying. What's our posture towards them? And, and particularly if you're someone who's strong in the faith, you're going well, you're not struggling in those areas, What's the temptation? The temptation is that we despise them. Strong word. Does it feel too strong? Despise? Well, the, the Greek word for despise, kata phroneo, is just made up of two parts. Kata, meaning down, and phroneo, to think or to consider. So Jesus is literally saying, don't think down on someone. Don't look down on someone as if, you know, you're up the ladder and you look down on them. There they are on the rungs all the way down the bottom. And, you know, gee, look how far down they are, but look how high up I am. He's just saying, don't think down on them. Don't look down on them. Don't despise them. You know, as if I'm going fine. Why can't they just get it together? And let's not forget, Aussies are great at doing this. Like, this is pretty much our national pastime, isn't it? Like, laughing at other people's failures or looking down at people who've done something kind of silly. Like, let's not forget, and this is a blast from the past, but there was once a time when Donald Trump sent out this tweet where he used the word kovfefe for absolutely no reason. It was hilarious. I thought, I thought it was really funny. 
<laughs> or, or let's not forget as well, during COVID, a bunch of celebrities got together and they thought it would be a really good idea to encourage the world by singing that, uh, that John Lennon song, Imagine. And they couldn't do it in key or properly in time with one another. Now, that was a great blessing to the world because it was really funny. Or a bit closer to home, here's the mum who tried to make a bluey cake for her kid, right? See? <laughs> right, we do this. We do, it's okay. <laughs> you can laugh at that. It's pretty funny. Um, we, we do this. We, it's, just, it's part of our culture that we quickly laugh at each other's failures or we quickly go, ah, you know, how silly or whatever. And, and that happens. That happens towards our fellow believers as well. And that's why Jesus gives us here in this passage four reasons why we must not think down, look down on our fellow believers who might be straying in the faith. Whether they've wandered from church or they've wandered into sin or they've wandered into doubt and despair. Four reasons. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. It's a short passage. Um, but uh, I, think, I think this is, this is so important for us to hear because if we don't, I want you to hear this, if we don't, we can be a church that has fantastic preaching and we can have great music that stirs our souls and we can have great Bible study groups and we can have a warm welcome and a great morning tea and all these things, but we'll have a, a back door that's just like so flung open wide that the moment anyone struggles, they're going to take it, right? Because they've got people mistreating them or who don't know how to handle them. And let's be honest, all of us struggle at different points. If you haven't struggled in the faith yet, you're gonna. And if we're the kind of church that despises, looks down on those who are struggling in the faith, then you're going to be looking for that back door as well. That's how important this is for us to get our heads around. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. We'll see these four reasons. Lord God, please give us ears to hear, eyes to see this morning. Help us to see how worthwhile Jesus is. I particularly pray for those who are on the edge of, of faith or who are struggling some way. I, I pray they just see the beauty, glory, truth of Jesus this morning. Uh, and for, for those who are going stronger, Lord, I pray that you would humble them and I pray that you would show them and, and us um, what we need to do in response to this text. We depend on you. We look to you. We ask for your Spirit's help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Reason number one, you got your Bible open? We're just staying in Matthew 18. Reason number one, why is it so crucial for us not to despise or think down on believers who are straying into sin? Verse 10, for I tell you, notice that word for, he's saying like because, here's the reason, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. He's giving us the reason here. And the first reason is that God protects them. God protects the straying believer. And it's got something to do with angels. Some of you are like, yes, we're finally talking about angels at church. We never hear about angels. <laughs> right now, it's important to understand what this passage is saying and what it's not saying. Uh, some people have, have developed from this verse the idea of like guardian angels. Have you heard of that before? It's like every, every person sort of has a little bodyguard who's following them around, sent from God. And like, honestly, that must be a bit of a boring job because we, we sleep a third of the day and we work a third of the day. And so they're just twiddling their thumbs, I guess. I don't know. But, but there's this idea of a guardian angel. And it's not just this verse. There's one other verse that 
uh, people build this off as well. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 12, verse 15, if you want to flick there. Um, this is, this is the, the part in Acts where Peter, one of the disciples, he gets busted out of prison. You know this bit? It's where Peter's in prison for preaching the gospel. Okay? So he's been told you can't preach the gospel. He does, <laughs> and, and he ends up in prison for it. And so God sends an angel to lead him out of prison, past the guards, through the gates, all of that, miracle. And when Peter gets busted out of prison in this way, he turns up at the, the Mary's house, one of the disciples. And Mary's there. Uh, one of the girls opens the door. Peter's there, and she slams the door again because she's like, whoa, that's impossible. <laughs> she goes back to the disciples, and she goes, it's Peter, he's here. And now look in verse 15 how the disciples respond. So this is in Acts chapter, sorry, Acts chapter 12, I'm in 15. Acts chapter 12, verse 15. They said to her, you're out of your mind. She kept insisting that it was so. And then they said, it is what? His angel. His angel. Oh, there it is. Guardian angel, right? Peter's guardian angel. So goes the logic. Now, the thing is, uh, Jewish folk at the time, so including those who were there in this room, they did sort of believe in this idea of guardian angels. Okay? But they didn't get it from Scripture. There's only two verses in the New Testament that, that speak of something that might be taken as a guardian angel, and we've just seen them both. Acts 12.15, Matthew 18.10. That's it. And the Old Testament doesn't really have much on the idea of a personalized bodyguard, guardian angel for every believer. But they did believe something like that because they got it from Jewish traditions. So not from scripture, from traditions. Uh, and one of those was called the Book of Tobit. So it's not a scriptural book, but, but this, this interesting story, if you haven't read it, it's quite interesting. The Book of Tobit uh, has this idea of a personalized guardian angel. So they had this sort of superstition that guardian angels follow believers about, and that when a believer died, when a person of God died, the angel would then go to their loved ones and say to them, bad news, the person's dead, but good news, they're with the Lord. Okay? So that was what they believed. Does that make it true? Does that make it true? No, I mean, just because they said that it's true doesn't mean that it's true what they said. Does that make sense? Like, what's happening here is the Bible is capturing someone making a theologically incorrect statement. It's not saying that the statement is correct. It's just capturing them saying it. And I mean, if, if you and I were in the Bible, I'm sure we'd have one or two or three hundred moments like this as well, right? So, so this isn't, it's not theologically correct to say that every believer has a guardian angel, but there's actually something even better that Jesus is affirming here. He's affirming that God commands the entire angelic host to look out for his people. Hebrews 1.14 puts it this way. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who, to inherit, who are to inherit salvation? This is a beautiful picture. God cares so much for each and every one of his people that he has angels, these angels who behold his face, that he is commanding for our watchful protection. I don't just mean our protection from injury or protection from sickness, right? Josiah's got a, a bung ankle at the moment. Did the angels fail? No. God allowed that to happen. He's in control of all things, right? But particularly the protection of the believer's faith, 
If they really are one of God's children in the big scheme of things, God commands angels for their watchful protection of their faith. And here's the rub. That applies to those who are straying in sin or struggling in faith as well. If they really are one of God's children in his wise, sovereign understanding of all those who will continue to cling to him in faith at the end of the day, then he will protect them with his angels. He will protect their faith. And here's where it gets challenging. If you look down on that person and despise them and discourage them, then God is commanding those angels to protect them from you. That's a scary place to be in. If you despise or look down or think down on these people, then God knows. And no one likes to think of themselves as the bad guy, right? Like no one watches John Wick. I don't know if you've seen that movie. John Wick and thinks like, man, I'm the guy who killed the puppy. That's me, <laughs> right? I, he's the guy I empathize with in this. No, like no one's like that, right? But actually, if that's what we're doing to our fellow believers, we're the bad guy. And God will protect them from us. There's the first reason. God protects them. And hey, we're just getting started here. We haven't even got to the story yet. <laughs> so you ready? Verse 12. Here we go. Second reason. And by the way, verse 11, probably not in the original manuscript. If you've got that there, that's why it goes 10, then 12. Uh, and so we're just going on to verse 12. And, and remember, this parable isn't just a story about a shepherd. It's not just a cute story that Jesus tells of a shepherd and sheep and how nice. It's, it's actually a story about God. He's telling it with a purpose. The shepherd represents God or Jesus. And then the sheep represent believers, the little ones. And so what we see here is something about God's character and, and his posture and his action towards believers, particularly those who stray. And the implication then is that we ought to imitate his character. You following? Here's God. Here's what he's like. Here's us as God's people. Here's what he wants us to be like. So verse 12 we see the second reason that we must not despise straying believers, and it's that God seeks them. What do you think? Or maybe even, what are you thinking? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray, or more literally, is straying? Notice the contrast. 99 sheep, Safe on the mountains, one straying into the wilderness. And in Jesus' time, in the time when he spoke this, the ancient Middle East, this happened pretty often. Uh, Palestine was, was a place that was just full of traps for sheep. Ravines, gullies, thorn bushes, wolves, rivers, you name it and a sheep can run into it. Right, And so what would happen is the end of the day would come and, and the shepherd would count up his sheep and, you know, 97, 98, 99, 999, 1,000, 1,001, however many there are, and, and he'd be there in the safe place and he'd go, ah, I'm missing one, I'm missing 10, I'm missing 15, however many. And what he'd do then is he would leave his flock, the, the safe flock that made it through the day, he'd leave them in the watchful care of other shepherds with whom he partnered, and he would then go off and find the ones that had got stuck in the ravine or marooned on the ledge or whatever. Okay? This is a common thing. Common thing. And so 
Um, what, why Jesus asks this question is because it, it has an answer that everyone knows, right? Hey, if a shepherd notices a sheep missing, doesn't he go and find it? That's just what shepherds would do. After all, the shepherd knows his sheep. He spends all day with them. Now, you and I, I don't know if we have any shepherds here. Has anyone ever been like a career shepherd? Probably not on the Central Coast. Yeah, no. Uh, not me either, but I, I started out as an English teacher. Uh, we have a few teachers here. And a teacher knows their students, right? Give them a week, they know all their names. Give them a month, they, they know a lot about how they learn and, and what their preferences are and what their home life is like. A teacher knows their students. A carpenter knows his tools, right? If you, if you work in a profession day in, day out, you know the people or the things that you work with. So too for the shepherd. He, he knows the individuals. He doesn't just see an undifferentiated mass of sheep. He knows the individual sheep. He knows the one with the bung leg or the, the black spot on its, its backside or the, the slightly chipped horn. He knows them all. In fact, this is an interesting thing about sheep. I don't know if you know this. They have like emotional profiles. So sheep can get angry or sad or bored or happy or anything in between. And they can sort of have a disposition towards any one of those, those emotions. They can have personalities. Sheep can have distinct personalities. For example, take a look up here. Can you tell the difference between these two sheep? The one on the left is an optimist. The one on the right is a pessimist. Don't know if you can tell that. A good shepherd can tell that. Now, the, the point is, <laughs> a shepherd knows his sheep. He knows the individuals. And so when at the end of the day, he's counting them up, 97, 98, 99, ah, I know which one's missing. And he goes and he seeks it. And so Jesus' argument goes, if a shepherd, right? This guy, it's just his job. If a shepherd knows when just one of his sheep is missing, how much more does God? And if a shepherd goes in search of one of his sheep that he knows has gone missing, how much more will God? Because God doesn't just see an undifferentiated mass of believers, okay, like a, a sea of humanity or, or just the church, right? He doesn't just see, oh, here's 70 at Wyoming Church of Christ, okay? He sees each and every individual believer. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He does. He's the good shepherd, and so that means that when one of his people maroons themselves on the ledge of doubt or gets stuck in the thorn bush of habitual sin or wanders into the valley of despair, he goes and seeks them out. He knows, he sees, he goes. And this is good news because, put up your hand if you've been a Christian for like 10 years or more. Just put up your hand. If you haven't been a Christian for that long, take a look around. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Take a look around, right? You're surrounded by a bunch of people who have a, a longevity in the faith. Keep your hand up. And uh, Sorry. <laughs> keep your hand up. Now, keep your hand up if you sometimes feel like you stray from God. Yeah? I actually saw more hands go up. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Now, keep your hand up if you feel like you continually stray from God. Some hands went down. Mine's staying up. Rob's kind of going like this. Yeah, yeah, put your hands down now. So isn't that interesting? You have lots of people here who have a long-standing Christian faith who are going, yeah, you know, there are times when I stray. And then most of you are also saying, there are plenty of times where I feel like I'm straying. Hey, and if so, you're in good company. 
right? Not just my company, <laughs> but, but you're in good company. The Apostle Paul said this, and this is from Romans 7. Um, by the way, there's a little bit of debate around this text, whether he's talking about like before he was a Christian or after he's a Christian. I think he's talking about after he's a Christian. He's talking about his, his, his walk as a Christian and the struggles that are there. And listen to what he says. I have the desire to do what's right. I have the desire to follow Jesus. I have the desire to put sin to death. But I just don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want. The thing I really want to do is serve Jesus and turn more and more of my life over to him and put sin to death. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You ever feel like Paul? You're in good company. The super apostle, right? He said he felt the same way. And so what good news that Jesus died to secure our forgiveness before a holy God. What good news that he sought us out when we were lost and put us on his shoulders as the Lucan parable goes and, and bound up our wounds and, and brought forgiveness through Jesus' work on the cross. All those who cling to him in faith, you, you are forgiven of your sin, past, present and future. That's the Luke version of the parable. But then here... In the Matthew version of the parable, what good news that like the good shepherd, he seeks us out when as believers we stray. When we find ourselves marooned on the ledge of doubt or caught in the thorn bush of sin or stuck in the valley of despair. He seeks us out. And so are you stuck in a loop with a particular vice at the moment? Whatever it might be. You know what it is. As soon as I mention it, it comes up for you. right? Are you stuck in that loop? Are you lashing out with harsh words? Are you neglecting the scriptures or prayer? Are you struggling with, with doubt? Jesus knows. He sees. He hasn't left you. He's seeking you out right this very moment. He's going to put you up on his shoulders. He's going to bind up your wounds. He's going to bring you home. He is seeking you out. He hasn't given up on you. But nor has he given up on the other person who's struggling and straying. The one that even in your struggle, you might look and go, gee, good thing I'm at least not like them. Good thing I'm not as far gone as they are, right? Like, I'm not top of the ladder, but I'm here. They're there. He hasn't given up on them either. See, uh, just the other day, uh, I was out and about and I ran into a couple that used to go to our church. This is actually years ago. Many of you who are here now, like our church has changed a lot. And so you probably wouldn't know them, but, uh, and don't ask me who they were because I won't say. Uh, but I, I ran into a couple and um, they, they'd moved on, as it were, to uh, uh, EV years and years ago. And um, I asked them, oh, you know, hey, how are you going? Uh, how's EV going? And they sort of laughed, like in this scoffing sort of way, like, <laughs> you're like, no, we're not, we're not at that church anymore. And I thought, oh, oh, yeah, okay, did something happen? Like, um, have you moved on somewhere else? And I thought, well... During COVID, like we, we just sort of we reflected a bunch on what's really important to us and we, we decided church just really isn't for us anymore. And, and I was like, so you're not going anywhere? Yeah, no, that's right. And they, they sort of said it with this laugh, like this mock, like yeah, as if we'd waste our time. And, and I, here's what happened for me. I'm just going to be honest with you for a moment. Um, and you know, like I'm the sensitive, caring guy and sit down and listen a lot and all that. But here's what, here's, here's what happened for me, Okay. The first thing that flashed through me was just sadness. And, and it wasn't even compassion. It was just sadness. It was like, I've invested hours in you guys years ago and sat around your dinner table and um, invested in your kids and, and all of that. I served you and like you're laughing at the idea of church. That's just, it just makes me so sad. 
But very quickly, it moved from sadness to, and I'll be honest, contempt. Like, not even just look down on, but contempt. And, and it wasn't these words that went through my head, but it's this kind of thing where I'm like, you bozos, you idiots. Like, are you that stupid? Again, it wasn't these words running through my head, but this is the feeling. Are you that stupid that you just give it all away like that? Thank goodness I'm not as stupid as you. It can happen that quickly for someone, right? Here's Dan the sinner, who just in, in a matter of seconds of meeting these people, went through that range of emotions, and I repented of that. That's sin. That's despising. That's contempting. That's looking down on. The Lord doesn't want me to despise someone like that. He wants me, like him, to seek them out. And so I've been praying for them since I saw them. I've been praying that the Lord would lead them back. And I've been praying that the Lord would work on me. <laughs> that I'd have more humility because there but by the grace of God go I. That could have so easily been me. If not for God having the right people in my path at the right time. God, God keeping me, preserving me, protecting me. There but by the grace of God go I. I wonder if you can think about someone that, that you know who's, who's maybe left the church. I don't just mean our church, but they left the church. Maybe they're still saying they're a believer. Maybe they're not. But someone who's left. Or I wonder if you can think of like someone, whether here or elsewhere, who's just stuck in sin. How does the Lord want you to treat them? I mean, can you, can you empathize with me even a little bit? Like there are times perhaps where you feel a sadness or maybe even a self-pitying like, but I've done all this for them. And then maybe you notice that there's a looking down on or even a contempt that rises up. Like be honest. Be honest. I think if any of us reflect enough, we, we all hit times like that. That's why I'm confessing it to you. So think about that person or those people that you know. It could be a kid, a grandkid, a friend, a workmate, someone you've invested in, someone that you, you once saw going in the Christian faith, making a profession of faith. How does God want you to treat them? Not with despising, but seeking them out in the same way that he does. Right? And so I'm thinking about this couple. I'm thinking about this couple that I saw. I'm like, there's a chance that I might see them again in the coming months. So I'm praying for them. And I'm thinking next time I see them, I'd like to ask them a question. I'm not going to just like smash them over the head. Be like, you idiots, you should be at church. Obviously not, right? But I'm, I'm going to be like, well, hey, so what did you learn during COVID? I'd love to hear because like I've had, I've had other people that have dropped out of church during COVID as well. And, and it's an interesting experience. Can, can you tell me, like, what went through your mind? What conclusions did you come to about church, about Jesus, about your life? I'd just love to hear. Talk, 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 listen, listen, listen. Can I share with you some things I learned during COVID? Because I tell you, like, I learned something very different to what they learned. I learned how worthwhile Jesus is. I'd love to explain that to them, right? I'd love to seek them out in that way. And maybe you've got a friend, a workmate, a kid, a grandkid who's in that position. The Lord wants you similarly to seek them out rather than despising them or rather than just sweeping it under the rug? Will you pray for them? Will you keep praying for them? Will you have the tough conversation with them? Will you ask them the tough question? Because, and, and I want you to hear this, if they really are one of God's people, one of his chosen people, then the day is coming where you will rejoice. If they really are one of God's chosen people, they will come home and you will rejoice because God rejoices over those that he brings home. Here's the third reason why we must not despise them. 
look down on them with content. God rejoices over those who are his true people. Verse 13, and if he finds it, and there is an if there, it's not because God fails, it's if this sheep really is one of his sheep, if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray, right? And sometimes we forget this, but there is rejoicing when a straying believer comes back. We're going to look at that more next week when we talk about church discipline, right? There's rejoicing that follows successful discipline. But the third reason not to despise a straying believer is because God rejoices over them. When he takes them up on his shoulders and he binds up their wounds and he carries them across hill and valley and through river and ravine and across the plains and he brings them safe again back to the flock, his church, and they're secure in their belief again, he rejoices. He rejoices. And in fact, you might catch there, he rejoices more over that one that came back than the 99 that was safe. Does that strike you as a, a little bit odd? It's a bit weird, isn't it? So, so is Jesus saying that God rejoices more over the guy who, who goes and gets stuck in sin and, and then comes back and, and humbly repents and, and receives forgiveness than over the 99 who, who kept going along strong that were part of that like one in five or the three in five? Is God rejoicing more over that guy? Well, not over his sin, obviously. God doesn't rejoice in sin. He hates sin. But he rejoices in forgiveness. He delights in forgiveness. He rejoices in restoration. He delights in restoration. And think about this. We just got the good news about the Genesis that, that Rob shared. And I got a message from April uh, early this morning as well saying, hey, there's good news, right? Um, it looks like he's getting better. It looks like the prognosis is good. Still work to be done. But, you know, he's getting better. And so I want you just to think, for, for Rob in April, when Josiah no longer has to take those antibiotics, when surgery is totally off the table, when things hopefully, we, we hope and pray, are all better and all fixed, and when they see him run around on that fixed-up ankle and they see him kick a soccer ball again, how are they going to feel? Stoked. They're going to be stoked, right? And, you know, more stoked than over the good health, the continued good health of Selah and Ellie and Eden. Right? They'll be thankful for that. They'll be thankful their other kids are healthy. But they'll be stoked that Josiah's recovered. It's the same, same thing with God, right? Of course he's glad of, of his people that keep following him. But he is absolutely stoked when people return. When he brings the wayward sinner back. And so should we be, lest we not be like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son who when the lost son came back went, that shouldn't be. No, he wants us to rejoice because he delights in forgiveness. Listen to this, Psalm 86 verse 5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. It's his character. Abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Isaiah 55 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Why? that the Lord may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, abundantly pardon. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all impurity. He delights in restoration. He delights in forgiveness. 
He hates sin. He hates the sinner, but he delights in forgiving sin and forgiving the sinner. So keep that in mind, right? If the person that you're praying for and, and seeking out for and hoping will return, if they truly are one of his sheep, the day's coming where he will rejoice in that person repenting and coming back. And the day is coming where you will rejoice with him. Keep that in mind as you have the tough conversation, ask the tough question, or grow tired in prayer. So the first reason, God protects them. The second reason, God seeks them. The third reason, God rejoices over them. And I'll give one more quickly. The fourth reason in verse 14, God preserves them. Take a look at this in verse 14. This is sort of where often at the end of a parable, Jesus will explain what the parable is about in some way. He gives like a little coda. Here it is. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And I want you to notice three key phrases here. Will, little ones, and perish. Three key phrases that unpack the meaning of this parable. And they connect together logically like this, okay? First thing, will. The will of God. The will of the shepherd, the will of the father, the will of God. What can we say about the will of God? Biblically, we can say that God's will never fails. Whatever he wills comes to pass, all right? And we've been talking about this in our equip class, the difference between God's hidden will and revealed will. But his, his ultimate will, the thing that he ultimately wills for his universe, always comes to pass. Like God's purposes are never frustrated. Think about this. The beginning of the universe. Did God struggle to create the universe? No. He created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo is the phrase. Okay, So he just said, let there be light. And he willed everything into existence. You and I can't do that. He can, because whatever he wills, he does. It comes to pass. Another way of putting it is in Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven, he does all that he pleases. All that he wills comes to pass. Because he's in heaven, he's God. And so, what is his will here in verse 14? Will for the little ones. He has a will for his people, his children. And his will for his children is that they would not perish. Now, that word perish here means perish in hell. And the reason for that is because if you look back up at eight, verse 8 and verse 9, the context here is talking about eternal fire. It's talking about um, cutting off your arm or gouging out your eye. Remember, we talked about this last week. Um, so that you would not end up in hell. Um, sentence forever away from all of God's goodness and blessing. We don't want to end up there. Well, the good news is God's will, which never fails for his children, is that they would not perish. Therefore, his children, because God's will never fails, will not perish. You follow me on that? All right. Now, um, one, of the, one of the tricky things with this is who are God's children? Right? Well, well, those who call on him in faith, right? But we see people who call on him in faith walk away and never come back and die, still not in faith. So are you saying, Dan, that they don't end up in hell? No, I'm not saying that. If someone perseveres in faith, they will not end up in hell. They will be in the new creation with God. Well, why will they persevere in faith? Because God, the shepherd, protects them and preserves them. 
right? And, and if this is a new idea for you, that like God in eternity past has chosen someone for salvation and then brings them to the moment of faith because he regenerates their heart, he wakes them up, they're a dead sinner and he gives them life, right? And then he preserves them even if they err in faith during their life, he will bring them back before their dying day so that they're in heaven with him. If that's a new idea for you, come along to Equip next week. 8.30 a.m., here's my spruik. Because we are literally looking at that exact question. <laughs> How do you connect those things together? Like, is there any question that God's sovereign except that we have that on Equip next week? <laughs> so, so come along. If that's a new idea for you, it's called the perseverance of the saints. That's the doctrine. We're going to look at that next week. But this is, I think this is actually one of the most encouraging truths in the Bible. Because look at this. This is Philippians 1 verse 6. You might have seen this before, but not really recognized what it's saying. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a powerful truth. If God began the good work of choosing you in eternity past before you even were born and continued the good work of saving you and giving you the gift of faith and repentance, he will bring that work to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. On the day when Jesus returns, you'll be standing with him. That's the promise. Okay? And that is such an encouragement to you if you really are in Christ, because what's the reason that you're going to wake up a Christian tomorrow? Right? Is it because you're stronger in faith? Or you're smart enough to outwit the devil and his schemes or smart enough to answer the doubts that come. This parable pictures us as sheep. How strong and smart are sheep? Like, bah. like no. <laughs> right? It's not our strength. It's not our smartness. It's not even the, the how powerful our faith feels. Your faith can go up and down based on your blood sugar levels. Right? It's not in the sheep, but in the shepherd that the strength is. It's in him carrying us. It's him making sure that this comes about, that the good work is brought to completion. And that is such an encouragement. If you really are one of his children, you will wake up a Christian tomorrow for that reason. What an encouragement. But it's also an encouragement for when we seek out our straying brothers or sisters, because if they really are one of God's children, he'll bring them home. He'll bring them home. And whatever stammering, stumbling, imperfect contribution we make, as we try to ask the hard questions and, and have the hard conversations and, and pray for them ongoingly, he'll use it. He'll just use the, the little efforts of his kids to bring about what he, the Father, has determined. Right? It's a sure thing. The end is certain. And so we contribute what we can. Think about someone in our church who might be caught in sin. Or someone who's left the church. That, that person we were saying before, right? The family member, the friend, the kid. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. We don't know exactly who are the, the chosen children of God, the elect. We don't know, right? God does. He knows. He'll bring them home. All we have to do is seek them out. We seek. We talk. We pray. Is there something you need to say to a friend who's stuck in a sinful habit? Is there something you need to ask a friend or family member who's walked away from church? Is there an encouragement you need to bring to a brother or sister mired in doubt or despair? And don't give up praying. Don't give up praying, friends. I read about a, a woman once who uh, was praying for her mother who'd walked away from the faith. And at five years, she said, 
Is God even listening? I've been praying for five years. She's no closer. At 10 years, she went, I'm a fool. It's a waste of time. 15 years, she said, I should just give up on all this. At 19 years, she thought, there's no way. On the 20th year, her mother was baptized. Don't give up praying. God will bring his children home. Because, and to finish with James' words, here's the vision. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's possible because of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd who protects them, seeks them, rejoices over them, preserves them. He wants us to do the same, to seek them out. Not despise them, seek them. Let's pray. Lord God, help us have the courage, but also the humility to know that we are but sheep that go astray. Help us not look down on our brothers and sisters or even those that we aren't sure whether they are brothers or sisters anymore, but you know. Help us, Lord, to seek them out. And may we be captured by this vision of how good you are as the good shepherd. So much wiser, so much more loving, so much kinder, so much more patient than we ever could hope to be. And yet you are making us more like your son. Help us, Lord, to cling to him for forgiveness, but be grown to be more like him in the way that we treat each other. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. amen. We're going to share in communion now. So I'll